Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we come before you now, and as we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us this morning through the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, um, through your word. Lord, grow us, change us, help us to become the men and women of God that you created us to be. And as we engage with you through your word in this way this morning, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to hear you today. We give you the relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift to you those whom we know and love who are sick, who are facing uncertain diagnoses or recovering from medical procedures, and we pray your healing mercies over them. We lift to you those who grieve, and we pray your comfort over their hearts. Lord, we lift to you our country and our leaders at every level of government elected and appointed, and we pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. And Lord, we lift up the men and women uh, who serve in uniform to protect and defend uh, the freedoms we enjoy as Americans. We pray that you would watch over and protect them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way. We ask that you would bring them home to us safely. Lord, we lift up those who've returned home from their service changed as a result of the sacrifices they've made. And we pray that you would use us to minister your grace and healing to them, mind, body, and soul. And Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We pray that you would be with your people this morning and throughout the week ahead. We think of those works that we are connected to through our denomination and through our missions giving. And we pray your blessing over all of those churches that we are connected to in those ways. We lift up Paul and Elizabeth Branch in Guatemala, John and Diane Davis in Laredo, Texas. We lift up Pastor Miguel, who's here with us now, and his wife Tatiana, who is back in Cuba, and our sister church in Kamahuani. We lift up Pastor Patchy and his wife Marilyn in Havana, Cuba, Robbie and Joyce Hamd as they continue to uh, grow your work in Beirut, Lebanon, and Monica and Benjamin Bailey as they serve you in the Middle East. And we just pray your blessing over those works, over the church plants that our denomination has going on here in Texas, in New Braunfels, in Austin, and in Dallas. And we just pray uh, your blessing over those young works. Be with us now, Lord, as we open your word, open our hearts, and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. If you are uh, sort of new to the game here, we are in the midst of a series of messages called Crystallized. We're looking at some of the themes in the Old Testament and just trying to kind of distill down into some really simple ideas what God is trying to say through the first two-thirds of his word before we get to the birth of Jesus. Um, and uh, we've looked at, we looked at the book of Genesis and the themes of, of creation and the crisis of sin and the covenant that God has established 
um, to restore his relationship to a sinful mankind. And then we looked at uh, the rest of the books of Moses, the first, the next four books of the Bible, and we saw themes of deliverance and atonement in those passages. Um, then we looked at some of the historical books, and we saw this, this idea of God's faithfulness, his covenant faithfulness lived out over time uh, throughout history. And then we looked at some of the wisdom literature and what this biblical concept of wisdom means, that it is um, one of the ways that we access something that transcends this life, that wisdom is, is part of who God is, and we are called to reflect that in the way we live. And today we're looking at um, the prophetical books and the two themes of justice and grace. These are the the two prevailing themes throughout the prophetical books, and I'll just say I'll you know sort of start with if you've ever tried to read through one of the prophetical books, you just picked up your Bible, cracked it open, and you happen to be uh, in one of the prophetical books, um, you might have gotten a little freaked out over how much judgment there seems to be, and I'll try to put it this way. Um, the prophets are trying to speak into a context that is very much part of the human experience. And, and it's simply this. We, God's people, all people, we're, we're messed up. We have a problem that in, in its simplest terms we can call sinfulness. Um, we don't always make good decisions. We don't always make the right decisions. And sometimes our choices and decisions put us in direct opposition to God's will, God's word, God's heart. And so the prophets had a tough job. Their job was to speak into the context of a group of people, uh, oftentimes whose leaders were making decisions that were in opposition to God's word and God's heart, and sort of say to them, and, and this in this sense, all of the prophecies of the Old Testament are conditional in this sense. They go like this. You need to turn around. You need to stop messing up. You need to stop doing the evil that you're doing and causing the calamity and destruction and pain and suffering that your actions are causing to others. You need to turn around and come back to the heart of God. And so they preach these two themes of justice and grace. And, you know, I've had some key friendships in my life, and some of the better ones are not afraid to tell me when I'm messing up, like, dude, stop. What are you doing? What's, what's going on? Talk to me, right? And that's what the prophets are doing. They're trying to speak to God's people and say, enough turn around, come back to the heart of God, because it's a heart of grace. And so we're going to start, I'm going to jump through several little uh, passages from various uh, Old Testament prophets this morning, and uh, then we'll, we'll talk about them uh, once I'm done. But we're just going to kind of bounce back and forth to some different passages. I've arranged them more in thematic order than any other order, if you're wondering why they're in this weird 
arrangement. Um, but I'm going to begin in Hosea chapter 12, verse 2. And I'm just going to read that verse, and then we'll go to Isaiah and Micah, Jeremiah, and then Joel. All right, from the book of Hosea, 12.2. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. couple things. Uh, Judah and Jacob, that just represents all of God's people. That's, that's who he's speaking to. Um, it's intended as a, as a bit of a metaphor for everyone who, who God is in relationship with. Um, and you'll also notice in this passage the legal nature of the language. God has an indictment. There's, there's been a crime that's been committed, and the person who committed it has been caught and indicted, and now they're going to be tried. Um, that's kind of the concept. There's this legal language, this language of justice, of divine justice in this case. Um, now we're going to read through a highly messianic prophecy in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. And I'm always baffled by how Isaiah could have understood a God who became human and lived a perfect life, and then offered his life as a sacrifice for our sins before 600 years before Jesus was ever born. Right? This is, this is amazingly clear for someone who's 600 years before the time. But this is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he, and he's speaking about the Messiah, surely he has borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then from the book of Micah, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, you will see another sort of cryptic um, allusion here to a future Uh, event that God would give his firstborn son as a sacrifice for our sin. And you hear this sort of echoed through Micah uh, several hundred years prior to Christ in this passage as he cries out, like, what will atone for sin? Do you want, do you want my firstborn? Um, And, and then of course, God will answer that question later and say, no, I'm giving my firstborn. But here we go. Micah six, six through eight. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God?
And now I'm going to jump to uh, the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah uh, was not a bullfrog. He was a prophet. Um, and Jeremiah spoke of uh, this, he, he spoke of what he called the new covenant. And I'm going to try to explain that. Um, if, if you look at this podium as if it is, can you see this? You can't. But look at this window as the window of human history. All of it. So we're somewhere on here. Some would say we're right here at the end. Uh, some would say we're somewhere in the middle. Who cares, right? It's human history, all of it. We're, we're in here somewhere. And at some point in human history, Christ came. He, he came. He was born. He lived. He died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father. So from the point that Adam and Eve fall and, and commit sin until the, the, the end of human history, that all people who are God's children in that time period fall under what's called the covenant of grace. From the point of the cross, and Jesus, as he held up the cup, said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So Jeremiah talks about the new covenant. Jesus holds up the cup and says, it's here. But the new covenant that Jeremiah talks about starts with, let's put the, let's put the death of Christ right in the middle of human history. It's, it's, who cares, right? Okay, so it's, it's right here in the middle. And so the old, the old covenant, or the covenant of grace, goes from creation to the second coming of Christ. The new covenant begins at the cross and goes past the second coming into all of eternity. So the new covenant is actually what is going to exist over here beyond um, human history. It's called eternity. Okay, And so Jeremiah is one of the clearest prophets in, in talking about this idea of the new covenant. This is one of the themes in his book and his work. And this is what he talks about um, when he's talking about the reality of that new covenant, that one day that goes beyond the end of human history, where we are in eternity with God, here's what he has to say. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And, and Jeremiah lays out much, much more about this new covenant, but it's basically heaven is what he's talking about, where there's no sin, there's no cancer, there's no suffering, there's no death, there is only eternal life and light and joy in God's presence. Okay, so any, seriously, I'm, I'm actually, any questions about the new covenant before I move on? Is anyone going, what in the world is he talking about? All right. No? We're good? I mean, we are Presbyterians. We don't talk in church, so I get it. All right. From the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, we get these words. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
and he relents over disaster. So what I've tried to do is just pull together some quotes from the prophets that represent these two themes, and now we're going to talk about the themes of justice and grace. Justice has two sides. It has a divine side and a human side. So first, let's make sure that we understand divine justice. This is very simple. Um, the, the concept is set up like a legal situation, a legal terminology. right? God has an indictment against sinful people like me. Um, so let's just kind of move through what's, what's here. God, because of his nature, must oppose sin and evil. Pain, calamity, destruction, all the consequences, death, all of it, those are things that God is against. He is against sin. He is for love and peace and righteousness and joy but he is against sin. We, this is, I think, fairly obvious, right? Like, this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Um, he, is, he must oppose sin because he is holy. God, the Bible says, is love. Sin is the opposite of love. And therefore, God, by his nature, being loving, must oppose sin. He is holy And he cannot be united with anything unholy and remain holy. That's our problem. Um, Apart from Christ, am I holy? (laughs) No. (laughs) I can get at least one amen out of this crowd. Um, No, I'm not. And I, and I I don't look at my position that way. I'm not a holy man. I'm a man, I'm a human, I'm a sinful man. And so the indictment that Scripture has is against me. It's against my heart of rebellion, of of sin, of selfishness, of hatred, all the things that God opposes. Um, And if I am going to be joined together with a holy, righteous, perfect God, that would, if we became one then he would no longer be holy. Simple logic, right? So I need, I need, I have a problem. I need help. (laughs) Amen. Right, yes. Um, Especially with, apparently with my chili even. I don't know. I didn't know I had a problem with my chili. All right. Um, Move on. Um, So that is, that sort of lays out this, this, setting of divine justice. God is holy, he is love, he is righteousness, he is peace, he's all the good stuff. And we bring to the table bad stuff. And so that has to be taken away if we are going to be made right and united to God. That's where we get to Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, that the truth that God wants to redeem sinners He wants to redeem the people who've been indicted. He wants to pay the legal penalty on our behalf. And the way he did that, Isaiah 53 is very clear, he was pierced 
for our transgressions. He being the Messiah, the anointed one, the holy one, the one who is God and human. He's love, he's peace, he's holy, he's good, he's righteous, he's true. And he laid down his life so that we could, his blood could wash us clean and put us in a position to be united to God. And so he made a way, the Messiah made a way for us to be forgiven. And the Messiah satisfied divine judgment. This is really important. God didn't say, okay, I have an indictment against you, you're guilty, and instead of um, you know, throwing you in prison, I'm just going to let you go, because I'm a nice guy. If he had done that, then actual justice would not have been satisfied. So what he did was he sent his son to become human, to live a sinless life, and he offered that human, divine combination of a sinless life on our behalf. Because he's human, the sacrifice counts. Because he's divine, the sacrifice is infinitely applicable. So he can die for you and me and everyone else that God wishes to redeem. And so there we have it. God, his heart, is for redemption, for redeeming sinners from the indictment. And he doesn't, he doesn't ignore justice. He satisfies it through giving his son uh, as our atoning sacrifice. So that's divine justice in a nutshell. And then because we have been the beneficiaries of divine justice, we have a responsibility to reflect that divine quality in our own lives. The, the, there's a human side. We are to pursue human justice. That is, we've been forgiven, we've been made right, we've been given something we didn't deserve. Therefore, we should go about in the world making the world a better place, bringing about more justice, more goodness, more love, more peace. To do this, Micah reminds us that first, we need to get right with God. And Micah talks about, uh, in this passage we have in front of us, um, shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with rivers of oil, thousands of rams? Um, He's talking about the Old Testament sacrificial system. How much is enough to atone for my sin? And the answer is obviously none of that will actually atone for your sin. It just sets up the stage for you to understand that your sin has consequences, and you need a Savior, you need a Messiah, you need someone to apply divine forgiveness to you. And so when we have done that, when we have gotten right with God, then we can begin to do right by others. But let me just go back to get right with God Because you cannot earn your salvation. There's not enough rams, there's not enough oil. Not even your firstborn is enough to atone for your sin. You cannot earn your salvation. That is what Micah is trying to tell us. And we are to walk in the humility of that truth, which is simply, we bring nothing to the table of our salvation. 
I'm not saved because I was smarter than someone else, because I was better than someone else. I was saved purely by the grace of God, by his will, not my own. And that leaves me in a position of humility so that I, can't, I cannot ever think that I'm better than Zach True. I mean, why would I think that anyway? Or anyone else, right? We are, the, the ground is perfectly level at the foot of the cross because we have all received the same grace. And as such, we are called then to do right by others. We, we get right with God, and that allows us to do right by others. And I'll just put this as simply as I can. Be nice. Do you hear me say that? I'm talking to me. Yeah, I need to be nicer. Right? We should treat each other better. Yep, there's a brother and sister sitting right next to each other over there. I don't know. I have no conflict there. All of us, every relationship, even people we don't have relationships with, be nice. This is not rocket science. This is divine grace. Be nice and stay humble. That's how we do right by others. When we become arrogant and selfish and prideful, people get hurt. When we stay in that posture of, I bring nothing good to the table of my salvation, then we can relate to each other on healthy terms. And so the justice theme has two sides, a divine side and a human side. That who God is as a just God is something that we should reflect in the way we live. Then the other theme you will see throughout the prophets is the theme of grace. We are to enjoy divine grace. We who don't deserve it are the very ones who are called to enjoy it. This is the beauty of our faith, that we are given something we do not deserve. And when we lose sight of the fact that we don't deserve it, we become self-righteous bad people, (laughs) right? So there it is, that we are to, according to Jeremiah, come under this new covenant. And here's why I was trying to explain this earlier. You have all of human history in this window. In the middle, you have the cross. The covenant of grace goes from creation to the second coming of Christ, The covenant, the new covenant in the blood of Christ begins at the cross and carries all the way into eternity. So when you grab a hold of that new covenant of grace through Jesus Christ, you are actually taking into your own heart that which is eternal, that which is beyond this lifetime, that which is divine, that which is beautiful, true, and wonderful. And as a result, you have this this weird reality that the new covenant is already yours. 
It's yours in Christ. You can have access to that eternal peace. It's not yet fully realized. That is, there is still what the Bible calls calamity in this life. We will suffer, we will get sick, we will lose loved ones, we will have problems, we will hurt each other. Life will go on in its, all of its ugly ways, even while at the same time we are holding on to that peace of the new covenant. It's already yours. It's not yet fully yours. Does that make sense? Okay. Therein lies the beauty of what Christ has done. He didn't, he didn't end the world so that we wouldn't have any suffering. He, he came into the world. He entered the world. He entered into suffering to say, I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You have my eternal peace right now. So as we come under that new covenant, we also are called to return to God with all of our heart. This Joel reminds us in his work that this is a heart thing. Um, He says in verse 13, Rend your hearts not your garments. So in ancient Israel, the custom would have been if a man saw another man sinning or became aware of a grave sin or a death or any number of things that represent evil and calamity and sin, he would, he would grab his cloak and he would tear it. And it was a way of saying, this is unacceptable, I I." I I'm agreeing with you that this is wrong. The problem is, it's an outward gesture. And so people could say, oh yeah, Rip, I really care. When in fact, what's going on in their heart is the opposite. And Joel says it's not about the outward appearances of religious activity about your heart. That's what God wants. He wants to get down to where things matter. And he tells us that at the heart level, he wants us to turn away from sin and turn back to his grace, his heart, his love, his peace. This is what we are called to And the prophets, as I said earlier, had a tough job. They're they're talking to people who are not walking in that position of humility, who think they do have things figured out, who think that they did earn their standing with God, and they're acting in ways that are causing pain and suffering and calamity and destruction and even death and injustice. And the prophets have to say, No, that's not what God wants. God wants you to come to terms with who he is, with the fact that he has a heart to redeem, that 
you are called to come under that authority and humility of knowing that you are gaining something you did not earn and do not deserve. And there you are called to live out these aspects of who God is in the way you relate to God and the way you relate to those around you. Will you pray with me? God, our loving Father, we acknowledge before you that we do not always do what is right and we are not always nice. We confess to you that our hearts turn away from the love and grace and peace that are offered to us through your Son. And yet, Lord, you call us back. You call us to the heart of the matter, to come back into relationship with you, to look to your Son for forgiveness and grace eternal, to look beyond the pain of this world and to the hope eternal that you have set before us through your Son, Jesus Christ. By his stripes we are healed. Lord, help us to live out of the strength of that truth and help us to reflect who you are to those around us, to do the right thing, to seek justice, to love being kind, and to walk in the humility of knowing that all of this was provided for us by you through Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen.